Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Durst. I've been hiring, firing, and mentoring executives, frontline employees, interns, and job seekers in companies around the world through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. I work with people in Hong Kong, India, Australia, and across the United States. What sets them apart? A lot, but there's more they have in common. And one of those commonalities is transition is a part of life. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions that are big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. The people who can make the difference that matters to you right now. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big change. The inside track you're going to access during our future episodes is better than a crystal ball. It's the exact information you need to take that next step. Whether you're a new grad applying for your first professional job, someone looking to transition your work experience into a promotion, launching your own company, or maybe even starting to plan your retirement, you're in transition, and this series is for you. We all know transition can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have VIP access to the future you want. Are you tired of the uncertainty of being passed up? We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to the front of the line. So if change is on your horizon, or maybe just the thought of change, you won't want to miss this discussion. It could be the exact edge you need to turn transition into an amazing opportunity. Susan Collins, thank you so much for being with us today. I was looking forward to this discussion and excited about you being on this episode of People in Transition. Well, Bob, thanks for having me. I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. Susan, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I am a total dog person. So, of course, when I was little, the only career path I saw was being a veterinarian. And what were the transition moments that you experienced to get you from that picture of yourself as a veterinarian, as a young child, to where you're at today? So I've always been driven. And early in my career, I was talking to one of my leaders about getting promoted. And she said to me, if you want to get promoted, you have to find your replacement. So for me, it was kind of the start of everything. I got really good at recruiting and that really kind of took my career into the recruiting arena where I was looking to help people find jobs that they loved. I loved the thrill of placing someone in a job and watching their career grow and become successful. And from there, I started leading teams. I was talent acquisition leader for many, many years and just teaching people how to find great people and helping them succeed in not only recruiting, but watching the joy they have when somebody finds a job they love. It was so fulfilling. Susan, I'm sure in your coaching practice that you hear lots of times, I wish I had changed jobs, pivoted into a different industry, all types of wishes. How do you respond to those comments? And what's your feedback to that person who says it? You know, regret is a funny thing. I think a lot of times when people are feeling regret, it's because something isn't going well. 
And instead of focusing on that regret, I really like to understand where they're at right now and what's bringing on that regret and then start thinking about moving forward. So if you could change the situation that you're in today, what changes might you make and how would that change your forward trajectory? That has to be uncomfortable for some to face that unknown future. How do you help them deal with that uncomfortableness? I love people to think about what if. What if you made the change? What if you didn't make the change? And help them kind of start to rewrite the story. I think when we're uncomfortable, it's so easy to go to a negative story about I could change jobs and not like my new boss. I could change jobs and not be successful. But when we start to reframe the story into all of the positive things that could happen, I think that they start to feel a new confidence and a new curiosity that spurs on some action. And when they come back and say, but Susan, you know, I'm comfortable in this current job. The money's okay. There's not much that they can throw at me that I haven't done before, but I'm just not happy. And I dread Mondays. How do you help push them from that comfort level into something that they can be more satisfied with? I like to talk about what's missing. And a lot of times my clients don't really know what's missing. And so we may spend an entire session talking about what's missing. What was one of the last things that they experienced that gave them joy? What do they like about their current job? But it is a lot of digging deep and a lot of self-discovery that they have to do to decide what direction they want to take. Let's shift gears just a bit, Susan. Tell me, why should I network to help me in my job transition? I think networking is one of the most important things that you should do throughout your entire career. And I think people get stuck because you know how it is, like life is busy. We don't always hold on to the relationships that maybe we should have held on to. And so I think that you need to make a list of who your biggest fans were, because as you start to think about transitioning, it can be pretty scary. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what's out there. You don't know what opportunities you might just not be seeing when you're doing a search. And so when you start to make a short list of your biggest fans and you start to reach out and rebuild that relationship that maybe you have not taken care of, it becomes a little more comfortable because they start to talk about the things that you were good at. They start to look at their network and think about how they can help you. People become so afraid of reaching out because they haven't kept the relationship going as closely as they would like to. But I do believe that it's human nature to want to help. And once you kind of get a couple of those conversations under your belt, the networking piece becomes a little easier and you start to really feel better about yourself and how you've helped other people along the way. Susan, what are some of the errors that you've seen in people when they are doing their networking? There are a couple things. First of all, if we're in transition and we are feeling the pressure to find a new job, we are putting pressure on ourselves that sometimes we put on other people. So it is okay to reach out and say, I know it's been a long time since we connected. 
I wanted to see if you had some time to chat next week. But I think that we get frustrated because people aren't on the same timeline as we are. So you want to reach out without expecting something from them. Now, it's okay to say, Bob, I reached out to you today because honestly, I'm going to start a search. And I know that we haven't been in touch in the past two or three months, or we haven't been in touch in the past year. But I was really hoping that maybe you and I could connect and talk about how you made your transition. But if they don't respond to you immediately, you can't get frustrated with them because they don't know what's going on. So you've got to reach out and really start to rebuild that bridge. And you can't have expectations of them to find you a new job immediately. Sometimes you've got to work on their timeline, which is different than yours. And when you're done with your networking meeting, let's say, do you ask for others' names to network with? And how does that conversation kind of look to you? I think you've got to read the room. You know, you've got to kind of gauge how well the conversation went. You've got to thank them for their time and say, I know it's been too long. If anyone comes to mind that you think would be good for me to connect with, or if there are any introductions that you'd be open to making for me, I would really appreciate the support during this search. And Susan, what are the mechanics or the structure of an effective resume once you've got your network built? A couple things with a resume. I think that people start to put their resume together and they start to think about the work that they've done. What I really want to see on a resume is not the job description, because if you are an engineer, your job description is going to be similar to another engineer down the road. If you're a store manager, there are going to be similar things that are expected of you as a store manager at another company. What I really want to see is how did you contribute to the bottom line? How did you help the team be successful? I want you to talk in terms of ROI versus tasks and expectations. I also think that if you can afford it, a professional resume will set you apart. And there are are a lot of really great affordable resume writers out there. It's just about doing your due diligence and asking for reviews and examples and references. And Susan, what does not work on resumes? I love looking at resumes and all of the different creative things that people do. If you are submitting a resume to an applicant tracking system, so you found a job online, either on the company career site or on Indeed, whatever you use for your search, you need to have a chronological resume that feeds easily into the applicant tracking system. So it it is really everyone's personal preference. I am not a big fan of pictures on resumes, but I also think if you're going for a creative job, you might use a green versus a black or a navy blue. I think you have to really understand your industry and what are the trends in the industry. But at the end of the day, it needs to be in chronological order so that it feeds into the applicant tracking system. Susan, why does aligning your personal brand with the company culture, why does that matter? And how do you achieve that matching? This is a great question. I think that when you think about your success and your happiness, it's important to see understand the organization that you're going into. I've seen a lot of careers rise and fall because people just weren't in the right company or the right job. But when you're in talent acquisition, when you're leading talent acquisition, especially, you hear pretty early on if someone is concerned about a candidate. And so when you look at your personal brand, 
you want to make sure that your values align with that organization so that you're not asked to do things that you don't want to do. You want to make sure that your values align because you want to work for a company that you're passionate about and you want to do a job that you're excited to go to every day. And Susan, how much research or knowledge about the company does the hiring manager or the HR manager expect each candidate to know? And how do you get that knowledge? When you're working with a recruiter, you're not expected to know everything up front. But the further you go into the interview process, the more research you need to do. So there are a lot of places out there where you can go see third-party reviews. You can go to the company website. You can research articles about the organization that have been in the news lately. There's a lot that you can do. I think that what you need to do is kind of collect all of that research and then try to look for the common themes. I do think that third-party reviews, I say that's kind of where the bitters go sometimes. Like that's the first place you go when you're not happy. So it's about looking for the common themes throughout your research. And then it's about getting to meet your hiring manager. It's about asking questions about their expectations and making sure that you understand what they expect out of you when you show up for your first day of work. It's about understanding what you will and won't do, but you need to show up having read the job description, having done your research and having your questions prepared. For every single interview, you need to have questions prepared. Susan, someone once told me that up to 70% of jobs are not listed on job boards. They represent that hidden job market. Can you describe to our listeners what that hidden job market is and how do you use it to your advantage as a job seeker? That's a lot of where your networking comes in and reaching out to people. When you are happy and recruiters are calling you and reaching out to you on LinkedIn or cold calling, you're kind of blowing them off. One of the things that I say that you should always do is every time a recruiter calls you, you should not only respond to them either with a phone call or an email based off of how they reached out to you, but you should also thank them for considering you and you should put their information into your phone. And why that's important is because when you do decide that you're going to start a search or you are in need of a transition, then under the title recruiter, you've got a starting place. And recruiters, especially outside agencies, get paid to fill a position. Inside recruiters are graded on how quickly they fill jobs and how great of candidates they present. So either way, it gives you a nice starting place to go back to people and say, hi, Bob, you reached out to me in June of 2021. And at the time I wasn't interested, I'm starting to rethink things a little bit. And I was wondering if you would have five or 10 minutes where we could just reconnect and discuss what opportunities you currently have. Susan, is there a particular way or method that a candidate should think about answering interview questions to be most impactful as they're talking with those recruiters? I am a fan of the old STAR method where it's situation, task, action, results. So when they ask you a question, take a moment to step back and say, okay, what was the situation? What did I, what were they expecting me to do in this situation? So what was that task at hand? What was the action that I took and what was the result? In the way back machine, I think people were so focused on providing 
that perfect answer. Here's the perfect answer. Here's the situation. Here's who I brought into the process. Here's what we did together. And here was our really fantastic result. I think these days you've got to be a little vulnerable to be able to share a great result and to share a result that maybe wasn't as positive, but what did you learn from the situation and how did you take that into your next experience? Susan, is a Zoom interview somehow different than an in-person interview? And kind of a follow-up question to that is, what are some of the things that you should do or not do when you're in a Zoom interview? I think a Zoom interview can be more vulnerable. When I think about going in for an interview before COVID, you used to come into the office, you would go into the organization. Now companies are asking you to invite them into your house, right? So it can be uncomfortable if you are not really prepared. So you need to make sure that you've got a good space with a good background. You need to make sure that you've turned all of your phones off. You need to make sure maybe that you've locked the dogs up or that you've had a conversation with everybody inside of the house to say, I'm going to be doing an interview. This is an important conversation for me. Anything you can do to support me and give me a silent, safe space to have a really engaged conversation is going to help me out. I also think that you can't put too much pressure on yourself. It is a different world. It is a different time. Zoom is a place where we're all getting used to being on video. And so show up as your best self. Put on your work mullet, which is like your blouse or suit on top. And if you've got shorts on the bottom, like that, do whatever you've got to do to be comfortable. But understand that I think that people are giving the interviewee a lot more grace than they ever have. And so find what makes you comfortable and know that they're doing this all day long and they're not judging you as harshly as you think they are. Do you think that you should take some time off during your search if you're feeling burnt out, and a follow-up question to that is, if you think yes on that, what is the right amount of time? If you are burnt out and you've left your job either because someone else has made a decision for you or because you just knew it was time to go, you've got to get in the right headspace. So all of those things that drove you to this moment or got you to this moment, you've got to make peace with. It depends on you and the process that you go through to make that piece. But if you are feeling tired still or not confident in your decisions, maybe there was a hard story that you've got to tell, then you've got to kind of start to get in tune with your feelings and kind of align your story to what you feel good with. The good and bad of the pandemic is that, you know, there were a lot of people that lost their jobs. There were a lot of people that made decisions to change jobs. And so I think that there's a lot more grace and empathy to people who don't have jobs. So while you may be kind of spun up internally about the situation, less is more. So you can walk into the interview. And when they ask you why you left the job, you can say, you know what, a lot of things changed this past year, or a lot of things have changed that that organization. And I decided it was time for me to step away and look for something new. And I wanted to have the time and the headspace to find what was right for me. And I don't think you've got to get into all of the details that you used to. If the recruiter pushes you to get into the details, it is okay to say, you know what, at this point, I feel like for me, it's about the future and a little less about the past. Is there something specific that you want to know? 
Susan, what have you been looking for that next great opportunity for a year or more? You've been in your search for that long. Is that telling you something as a candidate? And what should you do about that? Such a good question. I have a couple of clients who have made shifts based off of what they were looking for. And I think that there are a couple of things you need to do. First, you need to make sure that you're looking in the right places. You need to make sure that your skills align with the jobs that you're applying to. And you need to make sure that you are really seeking out the right opportunities. If the industry has changed, if the job description isn't quite right, sometimes it's about asking questions. Sometimes it's about realigning your resume. I have a client that I've been working with and he has kind of decided that he wants to specialize a little more. And so we are working on building a couple of different resumes so that he's got one that is very specialized in the area that he wants to go. And then we've got one that is a little more general, that is a little bigger picture when the job description isn't quite as clear as to what he would exactly be doing. So Jean, you kind of talked about this earlier, time expectations of the hiring manager and the candidate are often quite different. Candidates want things done yesterday and the hire manager, this search is one of hundreds of things that they're doing. How do you coach your clients on how to deal with this difference in expectations? And can they do anything to help speed it up? Hiring managers want to put the best person in the job. And they all have different ways of going about it. Like great hiring managers can interview three people and make a decision. There are other hiring managers out there that want to see 10 people. So what you want to do is understand what the process looks like. And then you want to be really eager to communicate with them. You want to have really good follow-up. I think it's okay to email them every other week or every week to say, I know that you're still in the process. I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that I'm still interested and was thinking about you today. Maybe you find an article out there about the organization and you send it to the hiring manager and say, this article that came out in Wall Street Journal this morning made me even more excited about what you're doing at Company X. I just wanted to let you know that I'm still here. If you are in the interview process with other organizations, that's where it gets tricky because you don't want to put too much pressure on the recruiter to make a decision. But you also want to let them know, I'm not playing games, but I did want to let you know that Company B is progressing a little faster than I thought they would. You're my first choice. I just wanted to see if you had any insight into what this timeline might look like. I think we can all agree the job search process is often not a fun process. How do you build up the resilience inside of you to keep going forward? I think that you have to stay focused. And one of the ways that I keep my clients focused is we have a job search spreadsheet that we share. So when we meet, we talk about, you know, the process that they're going through. We talk about the feelings that they have. It is okay to get frustrated in the process. It's not okay to get frustrated with the hiring manager. It is about looking at 
What are your wins for the week? What have you gotten accomplished? And you have to create a consistent process of, I'm going to sit down at my desk on Tuesdays for two hours a week if you've got a job. Or every night, I'm going to go through LinkedIn and I'm going to apply to two jobs. But whatever you set aside, you've got to do it the same every week. And then if it's not working, then you've got to reevaluate the process. So I've got kind of a plan where for the first month, you set aside the time and the process. So maybe it is, I'm going to spend two hours a week on my job search, and then I'm going to apply to three jobs a week. And then you hold yourself accountable to whatever that may be. I've got clients that want to apply to 10 jobs a week, and I've got, they're usually a little lower level. And then I've got clients that are executives and they're really picky about the jobs and we both have alerts set up and we're looking for those perfect jobs and doing a lot of networking. Susan, we touched on this earlier, being perfect, you know, your network plans, your cover letter, your resume, your interview techniques, the expectation of being perfect before you even launch your search process. Is this a reasonable expectation? I think when you launch your search process, you are going to learn a lot. So I think that you should kind of clean house before you have a party, but you might find a pair of socks under the couch. So you might set out with what you think is a beautiful resume. And as you start to really look at job descriptions and really start to look at what the market is looking for, you're going to be continually making tweaks. So what I say is get a base resume ready. Make sure that your LinkedIn is up to date and that you have put your best foot forward in these places, but be prepared to make changes. It's not going to be as it might be, right? You might have just an easy knock it out of the park, first interview, get it done. But the more time and energy you put into figuring out what you want, the more time and energy you put into making sure that you're interviewing and applying to the right jobs, the better success you're going to have in the long run. And if you are not seeing the jobs that you want out there, I think that you should apply and interview for jobs that may be interesting. It's amazing what you learn during that process and it gives you practice so that when that perfect job comes along, you're ready to go. I'm not saying waste anybody's time, but I am saying get a little creative, get a little curious, do something that looks good, but feels odd and, and see what you learn from it. Now we're going into our lightning round. I'm going to give you a topic and I'd like you to share for 10, 15 seconds at the most, your thoughts or coaching on that topic. First topic, cover letters. I think that everybody hates cover letters. I think that they're important. If a company has taken the time to configure their applicant tracking system to request cover letters, cover letters are important to someone. Don't overthink them. Don't make them two pages long. Put the job that you're interested in, why you're a good fit for the job, or what piqued your curiosity about the job, and maybe something that you've done in the past that would be relevant to this job and move on. People put hours and hours of time into cover letters and not everyone in the interview process is going to read them. If there's something specific to your industry where everyone does a cover letter, then I would build a base cover letter and I would make sure that I was diligent about tweaking it for every job, but don't overthink the cover letter. 
Next topic, dress expectations for your in-person interview. I believe you should rely on the recruiter. So if you're working with a recruiter, you should ask them what they would recommend. You need to dress up. You need to put your best foot forward. You need to be ironed and pressed and a suit jacket or a nice blouse is great, but I think it depends on your industry and your industry will dictate what you should wear. If you are looking at LinkedIn and some of these other social media places where you see how they are dressed at work, you need to just go in a level up from their everyday expectation. Your digital background on your Zoom screen. I think you have to be you. And so there's a lot of choices out there. I would keep it simple. It depends on the job that you are interviewing for. If it's a really fun kind of quirky organization, you might step out and do something that shows them who you are, but don't go overboard. I don't think that you need to have Star Wars unless maybe you're interviewing for Pixar or somebody like that. Keep it simple and have something prepared and ready to go. A lot of times, if you're going into their system, you won't have time to pick a background. So just pick the blur and kind of blur everything out. Next one, the impact of body language during an interview. Body language is a tough one because it goes with confidence. So if you're not confident in the situation, body language is a little harder to really convey. Sit up straight, look them in the eye, don't cross your arms, smile, all of those things that you need to do. What I would say is if you are feeling nervous about the interview before you step through the door, before you get on the Zoom meeting, take a couple of deep breaths, remind yourself why you want this job, remind yourself what you're good at, what skills you bring to the table, and do your best to be present in the moment and think about how am I answering these questions and am I doing it with enthusiasm? Susan, as we kind of wind down here, are there any books or other resources that you would recommend to someone who's going through their own personal transition? Networking is usually the hardest part that people hesitate to step into because if they haven't kept up their relationships, they're a little nervous. If they aren't comfortable or can't figure out who to reach out to, I think that's the hardest thing to get over. Like it's really easy to go online and apply to a job where you don't know who's on the other end of it, but 86% of people get their jobs through networking. So one of my very favorite books is just Jeffrey Gittimer's little black book of networking. It's a really easy read. It's full of tons of great reminders. And it's usually the first place that I send people just to kind of spark some excitement and ahas about why networking is so important. That's usually my first go-to. Susan, if our listeners only remember three things as they go through their own transition to that next great opportunity, what are those three things that you want them to take with them? First, get clear on what you want. You may have to narrow the funnel down as you go, but you need to really get clear on what you want in your next job, what you don't want in your next job, and what you bring to the table. So you've kind of got to get your story ready. Then I think you have to remember you're not in this alone. It is human nature. People want to see people succeed. Rely on your close circle. 
look for resources that maybe you didn't think that you had, make sure that networking is a part of it, but really remember that there are lots and lots of people out there who are in the same place as you. And so you're not out there, the only person looking for a job and you will get through this. And then I think the third thing is probably consistency. If you're looking for a job, if you know that you need to find something new because you don't want to be where you're at or you are unemployed, it is about the consistency of the search and doing the same things every week. If it's not working, reassessing and starting to look for new ways to get yourself out there or what are the adaptations that you need to make to the process, but you need to be doing it every week. Susan, you're doing this podcast shows our listeners that they're not in this alone. On their behalf, I want to thank you for sharing the great tips and techniques. Thank you for showing the energy and passion and that actually job transitions can be done smartly and sometimes even fun. Susan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're working in unprecedented times as the world responds to the recent COVID-19 crisis. The fact is that even those who are not in transition understand it could be right around the corner next month or a year from now. The purpose of these episodes are to give listeners support and the critical tools to adjust with the winds, wherever they come. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully, perhaps gracefully, or without too many battle scars, survived their own obstacle courses, and can share useful information on how to steady your ship or your world in this uncertainty. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on social media. If you have any questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate your time. You're investing in sharing these important conversations with me, my guests, and others who are going through life transition. Transitions between jobs, life stages, new entrepreneurial ventures, or whatever life brings. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode of People in Transition.